Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today we're going to be talking with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist, all about the victory on Saturday night, USC versus Idaho, 59-9. to You've sent us in a ton of questions. We're going to try to get to each and every one of them. If you want to send in another one, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or leave us a voicemail at 641-715-3900, extension 816 816- 646. You can also go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail there. And of course, please subscribe to our, our feed on iTunes, itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. You can do that with iTunes. You can do that with any of your podcast apps. Go through iTunes, Peristyle Podcast, and we'll get those episodes delivered right to your tablet, your phone, your computer, however you want to consume them. Uh, also give us a five-star rating. That would be great. And let's uh, let's talk to Dan. We got him on the line. Dan Weber, what's up, buddy? How are you? Uh, pretty good, uh, Ryan. It's uh, an interesting week. Last week, I think at this point in time, uh, there wasn't much looking ahead. It was Idaho week. It, you know, you were looking back at Arkansas State. You were thinking, and I, and I at the time, I think I said, and I thought I liked Arkansas State. I thought, you know, these guys, they're pretty athletic. Uh, got an athletic quarterback, a running back, a real good pass receiver. Uh, you know, they, they did a lot of things on defense. They were active. I, you know, I said, this is not a bad team. 55 to 6 looked like, uh, what are you talking about? And then Arkansas State goes and plays, uh, you know, Missouri right down to the wire, you know, losing 27 to 20, uh, Saturday. So I think we were right about Arkansas State. You know, Idaho actually was a little better than I thought they were. They had, they had a few more players. They looked a little more solid. Uh, you know, than I had expected them, uh, you know, to be. Uh, so I don't think it was one of those games where this team is so bad. Uh, they're not as bad as they've been. They're probably not good enough, you know, to, to win, a, win a lot of games. I think they'll probably win more than one like they did last year. But I think that it, it lets you focus on USC and lets you focus on, uh, I think it's a, actually for a young team with all these new parts to it, uh, those first two games are a pretty good way to go for this year's team. So, uh, you know, while you wouldn't want to do it every year and next year, maybe the ideal thing is to start with Alabama. Uh, but this year, I think this is probably a pretty good way to, to go weeks one and two. The, uh, that's kind of a good segue to our first question, I guess. Corey wrote in and said, curious to know what you guys think about the matchup and result of the Missouri Arkansas state game. I realize it's tough to com- compare teams according to common opponents. But I feel this might shed some light on the undervalued SC lopsided win. I haven't heard this topic discussed and wonder if there's any substance to it. Love the show. Fight on from Corey. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing I like, and I think everybody had focused on the score uh, of the, you know, the USC and Arkansas State, 55 to 6. It wasn't that big a, a margin. I know the Arkansas State people were thinking, man, we didn't get beat that bad. And they didn't. And they were competitive and they got a – you know, a tough little quarterback who, whose athleticism was to some extent negated by USC's athleticism on defense. And, uh, the same with, uh, 
with their other skilled players. But I thought they played hard. I thought they were. I thought they were competitive. I liked Arkansas State. I liked what I saw. You know that that program's got a tradition of you know four straight bowl games and winning seasons and you know challenging for the Sun Belt Championship and uh, you know with uh, coaches like uh, you know the three before uh, Coach Anderson that have gone on uh, to you know Mississippi and Alabama, or, uh, excuse me Auburn and. Uh, Boise State. So the previous three coaches have all been there a year and moved on. So it's a program, uh, you know, where you have to respect their program. I thought, I thought I liked what I saw, and it turns out I think, you know, I think it was a bad game for Missouri. They had to look at the score at USC, and their kids had to say, "Ooh," and they're a neighboring, you know, Jonesboro, Arkansas is real, you know, close to the Missouri border. So I'm sure it was a gigantic game. They got them at home, which was really unusual that Missouri went to Arkansas State. But uh, but I think it, basically they deserve to be on the field, you know, with a uh, a team that's been winning the uh, SEC East, I guess uh, Missouri has. So uh, so I think yeah, you can take uh, I think comfort in the fact that however that game was played, USC ended up you know running up that kind of a score against a pretty athletic team. So, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think people ought to pay a little bit of attention. Uh, you know, comparative scores are uh, probably not the perfect way to do it. But uh, but I think uh, looking at the athletes is the way to do it. And I thought Arkansas State had some athletes that were, were pretty decently competitive. Um, yeah, the, I, I guess coming off of that win, we, you, you, I think USC fans should have felt better because it was a decent team. I mean, it was an athletic team, and we would you know, find out more as we did when they played Missouri the following week. Idaho, of course, you know, only winning a game a year or so. It's not really uh the the, the kind of test. It's more about, you know, kind of USC taking care of business. But there's there's been a lot of I guess nitpicking after a big win like that, Dan. And there's a you know, people you know kind of worried about it. And you know, of all the nitpicks, and maybe this is the one that Percy wrote in on, is the one that maybe is the the you know has the most legitimate concern going forward. He wants to know, um what are the different ways that this team can generate a viable pass rush? Uh, and do you think that's going to be holding this team back when it comes to conference play? Well, Sark talked about that last night. I, I, I think there has been, uh, how, I don't know what the best way to say this. There hasn't been an emphasis, I don't think, on one-on-one, beat your guy, get to the quarterback. I think they kind of last year, even with Leonard Williams, uh, it was kind of a, oh, you know, let's don't take any chances. Let's hang in there. Let's read. Let's react. Let's see what happens. And I think that they've got to, you know, combat that. And I think finally we heard Sark last night say, um, we got to really have the intent to win those one-on-one battles and the intent to sack the quarterback. And that hasn't been, I don't think, you know, the culture uh, recently. Uh, it's been more of a, oh, kind of a team first and, and, and you know, hang in there and da-da. No, go get somebody. And it's your responsibility to see if you can do that, uh, you know, depending on, you know, the defensive call and your responsibilities and all that. But uh, but I think that's, uh, you know, the, the idea of, I mean, last week the, the whole – Focus was on the offensive line, communicating, keeping your eyes open, knowing what's going on. Don't let people run by you. Uh, you know, 
make sure you take care of all your responsibilities. I think this week the you know the emphasis is going to be on just that. Get to the quarterback. Figure out a way to do it. It's your responsibility. Uh, and it, it does get lost a little bit when you're playing nine or ten guys on the defensive line. The, you know the three three man groups that are rotating in and out. Maybe it is a little harder to generate that. You know, hey buddy, it's on you. You got to get to that quarterback. Figure out a way. But uh, but I think that's got to be the focus. Uh, I mean, let's face it. Last year, the key play against uh, uh, Stanford was uh, you know J.R. Tavai on a you know when Stanford wasn't expecting, he was coming and took uh, Hogan down there at the end uh, and pretty much you know effectively ended that game. And I think that is something that has to start happening with this uh, with this defensive front. I think you'll see more. You know, will there mix in uh, more Biggie Marshall? Uh, you know, obviously Sue is going to be coming, but uh, but I do think they've got a mix up, and and they weren't going to show much of that, I don't think. So they may be, you know, getting ready. Uh, you know, the, the kinds of blitzes that we haven't really seen before. I mean, they've got the personnel to do it, uh, especially if you you know figure in. With, uh, you know, some of the, you know, the linebackers and defensive backs in, in terms of, you know, the kinds of blitzes that they might be able to do. But I think you'll see more of that, uh, this week. But yeah, that's a, that's a concern. Uh, let's go to Big Nick in Cyprus. He was, said first thanks, uh, to USC for allowing us to watch the game. Oh, what does he say? Oh, uh, it was Armed Forces Day, uh, Appreciation uh, Day. So he said, go Army. Um, and then, he said, what do you think's changed, uh, for the better or worse from game one to game two? And then who do you think the, your players of the game were? Uh, he says, fight on from Nick and Cyprus. Uh, I think, you know, clearly the offensive line, uh, not being surprised, not being, you know, look like guys are out on an island, uh, you know, the much more, it looked like they were much, you know, more trying to say, you know, we're going to take this game over. We're going to, you know, rule the line of scrimmage. Cody's going to have enough time and we're going to be able to run the ball and we're going to create, you know, seams and we're not going to have guys having to dance around the backfield because there's absolutely nothing there at the point of attack. So I think that they got that all uh, much more cleared up. I mean, I, that was like, okay, this was our goal in this game and we're going to do it. And they did it. Uh, Players of the game, obviously, I think uh, the fact that uh, uh, Idaho decided they were going to play a little soft on Juju Smith and they were going to, you know, not get deep deep, uh, which they did twice. But uh, the idea that, you know, if you're going to do that uh, and you're going to give him that kind of cushion, USC is just going to go to him again and again and again. And, and USC is going to look at that play like it's a, uh, uh, a long handoff. And they're going to get other wide receivers, uh, blocking. And so, uh, I like that a lot, that, that adjustment where USC, so whether that's, uh, you know, a, a combination between Cody and Juju, but just the idea that, you know, if you come up and that's how they're going to play you, you're automatically going to take that and you're going to take the game. You're going to let Juju run over some poor cornerback and you're going to block with, uh, as many other wide receivers as you can get blocking. I think the wide receivers as a group, uh, probably deserves, uh, you know, deserves some accolades just because of the way, you know, they all blocked and the fact that 14 of them ended up catching, or 14 receivers at least, ended up catching passes. So, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I, and I like the way the receivers blocked. I think uh, a good example would be Connor Spears. 
I think he got a couple of blocks on the uh, uh, on one, and uh, I guess on one uh, Juju t- uh, touchdown run. And um, bum, 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 uh, I think after the game, I know he didn't get thrown any passes. And I asked Connor, I said, "How'd you do?" And he said, "I he thought he did great." He said, "I really got some good blocks." Well. If you've got receivers coming out of the game saying things like how much they like their, you know, the way they block, that's a pretty good, uh, you know, indication of, uh, you know, where this team's, you know, head is. And, uh, you know, so I like, you know, just in general, I like the way they, you know, way they blocked, uh, both the pass and the run. So, uh, you know, you could give it to, you know, everybody for the, uh, kind of, uh, you know, approach to blocking. Uh, we got one from Tarek. He says the, the platooning idea is still a great one, but should we let the first team defense, uh, defensive line stay in longer so they can develop rhythm and get more sacks? Well, I think you will see that this week because, uh, you know, Stanford huddles, uh, Stanford much more traditional kind of attack. Uh, you aren't going to see somebody out there trying to run a hundred plays against you. So you're not going to need you know, the kind of, uh, you know, platooning, uh, you know, that you're, uh, that you've seen maybe the first, at least certainly the first game and, and some of the second. Uh, and I don't know exactly where, you know, your sacks are going to come from that defensive front. For example, I think Kenny Bigelow has been one of the real active guys. Uh, he wouldn't be in that, you know, necessarily that first group. Uh, and, that's a good question, Tark. And I, I, I don't know when you talk about rhythm, uh, developing the same kind of rhythm, uh, you know, within a group, uh, on, as you would on the offensive line, uh, with the defensive line. Uh, I think, you know, and Tark made the point, uh, that's more of an individual thing. Um, so, uh, I, I don't know exactly how, you know, the best way to, you know, to develop that kind of individual you know, I got to get there. I think Claude Pilon had his first game, and I think he was, uh, you know, he was pretty active. Uh, and, he, you know, he wouldn't have, you know, always been in there with that, you know, that first group. But, uh, you know, he got through and, uh, you know, blocked an extra point. And he's got that ability, you know, to get penetration. So uh, I don't have a good answer in terms of, you know, how you would break down uh, uh, between the different uh, – you know, the different groups that get in there. But uh, uh, they've got to figure out a way, uh, you know, to get that done. Uh, I'm not sure what, what exactly that way is other than just individual effort. All right. Uh, here's a good one from Earl in West L.A. He says, I know there's a lot of concern about our third down conversion rate, but I'm not so, sh- not so sure it's as critical as some people are saying. First of all, uh, in these two games, we do not have many third down opportunities, six against Idaho, ten against Arkansas State. There would have been many more had we not been averaging close to 10 yards per offensive play, which doesn't allow for many third-down opportunities. Granted, third-down conversions are a way of measuring the team's ability to sustain drives, but in this case, uh, I don't think it means we can't play up to the level of tougher competition. All it means is we don't know the answer to the question right now. I suppose I see the glass half full, so as many uh, so many components of this football team are working well that it seems premature to label this untested phase of the game as a weakness. What are your thoughts, Earl in West L.A.? Yeah, I agree completely, Earl, Absolutely, without a doubt. Not enough uh, opportunities, uh, uh, combinations of players in situations that uh, don't give you, uh, you know, an exact read on it, the explosive uh, first and second down plays, all of that. 
add up to, you know, just not the kind of games where you were seeing sustained drives. I mean, uh, to, to be honest, Arkansas State and Idaho, you know, defensively probably weren't good enough to force USC into sustained drives. They just, you know, and there was, yeah, there was some carelessness. I know Sartre said, you know, a couple of times Idaho called exactly the right defense, uh, you know, the perfect defense against what USC had called. And, uh, you know, sometimes that happens. You know, they, they know, you know, they drop eight back and they absolutely just nail it. And, you know, Cody has to take off and maybe he'll, you know, as he did the other night, get close to the first down. They'll get it on fourth down. But, uh, yeah, there are, there are things that happen that, that don't give you an exact read on, uh, on your third down, you know, conversion. After the next two weeks, I think we ought to have a, a much better idea about this team and, uh, third down conversions. Although, I don't know if I'd trade the third down conversions for, for the, uh, explosive touchdowns. I might still rather have the explosive touchdowns if that, you know, means you, you won't get as many chances or you won't convert as many third downs. I think, uh, Kind of like those explosive uh, touchdowns. All right. Uh, Irvin had a quick one. Is John Houston redshirting? And do you think that USC has a chance to run Stanford off the field? Thanks and fight on. Well, it looks like he might. Uh, uh, you know, if you didn't get in last night, uh, Saturday night when Sark said he wanted all eligible players in, one would think you don't fit that criteria. Uh, so, uh, you know, th- th- that would be, uh, you know, John and Achille Ross and, you know, Cole Smith and, uh, you know, those, you know, you know, the, it would mean 14 freshmen did get in, including Deontay Burnett, which people were kind of saying, wow, that's interesting, uh, as a wide receiver. But, uh, so far, uh, it would look like it's going in that direction. I, I don't think there's any need to ever make a red shirt decision, uh, you know, this early in terms of, you know, finality. You can make it, you know, week by week and uh, in general, but uh, do you have to make it right now? Uh, no. So do you have a chance to run Stanford off? Yeah, I guess. You know, I think there's always that chance when you've got the kind of home run hitters that USC has and you can get hot. Uh, you know, I think there's – I think there is that chance with this team this year just because of that ability to, you know, score quickly from, you know, a long way away. Uh, I mean, we still haven't seen, uh, you know, Dory Jackson, uh, you know, return one yet. So uh, uh, is there a chance? Yeah. The fact that it's Stanford, you know, and they haven't let USC do that in a long, long time, uh, that's also part of the equation, I think, uh, at this point. And so uh, 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 that's why you go to the game, see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we go. We want to, that's, that's, that's what's all the fun's about. Um, here we got an international question. Uh, love the podcast. I live in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. That's pretty cool. Um, they got the two tallest buildings in the world, right? Those twin towers, I think. Um, yeah, I think so. And I, I would say this, uh, uh, when you fly home, fly on an American airline, just, to, <laughs> just, to, you know, for a, for a, a travel tip here from uh, from Malaysia. Nice. All right. Uh, so he graduated from USC in 1986. I listen to your podcast every week. Thanks very much for doing that. We love the international uh, listeners and questions. He says, he, okay, he's referring to USC's devastating loss to Arizona in 2012. He said, I remember Dan commented that the key play where Barkley overthrew Robert Woods was never run during USC's practice. My question is, 
Was it because Kiffin designed a play called Too Much Around Marquise Lee and pretty much ignored Robert Woods for that season? I'm asking in light of the current uh, Helton Sarkeesian play call, which seems to be spreading the ball uh, among all the playmakers. That's from Borneo Trojan. Hey, Borneo, uh, really good question. Yeah, I, I, I had trouble getting over. I mean, that was the game uh, that um, that uh, Marquise, I guess, broke the record. Uh, 375 receiving yards, and they still lost. And after the game, the head scratcher of all time was uh, uh, Lane saying that, wow, if we'd only hit that one pass pattern to Robert, the one they drew up on the on the on the you know on the sidelines on the ground, I think you know they were like with their fingers, uh, which would have put them up three touchdowns. USC would have been up three touchdowns. Then they would have been able to hold on. He said, and it was like, just are you kidding me? Uh, and I think either they pushed. I'm trying to remember exactly. Either they pushed Robert out of bounds or something, and it was one of those near connections, but not quite. And uh, it gave you the sense of how focused Lane was on his play calling as if that was so important or his figuring something out or his genius that, you know, he, I mean, he used to talk about he had three columns on of plays and the ones they practiced a lot and the ones they didn't practice so much. And then there were the ones that, you know, they barely ever even thought about. And then the Robert Woods play, that was like in column four. So he had to write that one on the ground. And uh, it was like, are you kidding us? I mean, you know, get a first down. Stop him on defense. Some other way. You could have won that game some other way. And, uh, no, it was all about that one play. I mean, that was that might have been the dumbest single post-game comment I think I've ever heard almost in my life about why a team lost the game. It was absolutely indicative of the issues that, you know, Lane has as a, as a head coach. Now, bringing it up to date, yeah, going to 11 and 14. I mean, and the amazing thing is they went to 14 receivers the other night, and Juju still caught 10, and they still threw the ball to Juju every time they gave him that soft, you know, that soft cushion cover. And uh, so it wasn't like they, you know, went away from, uh, you know, their their number one guy. They threw the ball like crazy to their number one guy, and they still spread it around. Uh, so I, I think you can't do any better than that. But uh, but a really good question. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you don't – it's not out of your mind here three years later, and, and I don't think it will ever be out of my mind, uh, the craziness of, uh, of that particular, you know, incident uh, and that loss and that, you know – that window into a coach's mind that is still hard for me to believe. Um, okay. Here's a question from Terry. And, and this might stem from when I had uh, Michael Dugar on who, or Mike Dugar, he's the uh, beat writer for the Moscow Pullman daily news. We had him on uh, late last week, kind of previewing the Idaho game. And someone asked him how much Idaho got paid for it, And he didn't know for sure, but it was like 1 million or 1.2 million. Um, and so Terry writes in, Dad, could you explain how teams go about getting compensated for playing their various opponents? For example, is the revenue negotiated when USC plays out of conference schools? Because I assume big check, big paychecks are the reward for a school like Idaho to go risk a, a sure bet beat down from a school like USC. And isn't the USC Notre Dame game a big money maker for both schools? And how about when a Pac-12 team plays each other? For example, is the revenue from the USC Oregon game? Calculate the same way as the USC Colorado game. 
Thanks for your work on the podcast and website, Tarion. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the the difference is uh, does a team get a, a return game? I think you know if you're going to talk about how guarantee games are basically in football and basketball when you buy a game and you say there's no way we're going back to play, you know, at Idaho or you know, and occasionally teams will give you two games if you give us two home games. We'll come to your place once, which I'm guessing is what happened with like the Missouri Arkansas State game, because there's no way Missouri goes there home and home. I wouldn't think. Uh, so there are all different ways of doing that. Usually, if you play somebody home and home, like USC in Texas or uh, you know those or USC in Auburn, basically you keep the revenue from your game and they keep the revenue from theirs. Now there are ways in which schools do that where they'll say, well because of budget issues and that, instead of getting all the money every other year from a game like that, they'll say, well, we'll give you X number of dollars for the year you come to our place, and then you give us X number of dollars for the year uh, we go to your place, even though essentially the dollars are the same. Uh, that keeps your maybe your budgeting issues for you know a year so you don't go up and down depending on, and that may be more in basketball because some years you get more home games than, than, than other years, um, that kind of a thing. But usually it's pretty much uh, you make the money off your home game and we make the money off our home game. I was trying to calculate. I was thinking the other night, let's say, you know, there were 72,000, you know, in the, in the Coliseum. Maybe, you know, that could have been 75,000 tickets sold. And I don't know what the average, you know, ticket price is, is uh, you know, 80 to $100, uh you know, counting the the special, uh, you know, deals and uh, suites and all that kind of th- thing. Uh, but, you know, that would be, what, $5.5 million, something like that. So you could probably afford, you know, to pay Idaho, you know, a million or so, uh, you know, to come down for that game. And, you know, for a team like Idaho, where, um, you know, they're going to average probably 15000 I guess. They've got a little small dome stadium that they use for both uh, football and basketball the Kibbe Dome, and so they may have made more money off that game than they will off their entire home schedule. It wouldn't, you know, wouldn't surprise me, or at least they'd equal it. So and that really matters, you know, for a program like an Idaho. Probably matters like, you know, crazy for an Arkansas State. So, uh, so I think it works out well if you can get out of those games without, you know, getting too many injuries. It's kind of a neat trip for your kids. Uh, you know, Idaho had you know, a, a fan group, I'm sure uh, Arkansas State brought, uh, you know, a group of fans who were pretty excited about getting, you know, to come to L.A. and all that. So, uh, so I think, it, you know, it can work out pretty well. But but basically, you know, the conference games, you're just going, you know, home and home. You keep your money, we'll keep our money. But they may, you know, uh, share some money each year, uh, one to the other, whoever's making the revenue off the game, just to keep your, your budget from uh, going up and down. All right, and then we have Bear Secutor, which is kind of another schedule question. Who's responsible for scheduling the non-conference games? Is it Hayden? Is it Sark? Someone else? I understand USC is paying over a million dollars to show up and scrimmage in the Coliseum. Couldn't they have found a better and less expensive out-of-conference uh, game to schedule? How about a Texas, Pennsylvania, or Florida school? At least we would have gotten some exposure in those key recruiting states. No matter what USC does Saturday, um, I'm sorry. I think he sent this in before Saturday. So this was not, uh, you know, obviously okay. it ended up working out. Okay. Um, 
But I so he said I was so weak. You have to be concerned that the team loses its edge. Uh, our scout team could win by five touchdowns versus Idaho from Bear Secure. I think you may be overstating that. Uh, still, USC by all uh, you know, but everybody who figures these things out has got a top ten schedule this year. I mean, when you're going on the road, you know, to Oregon, and you're going on the road to Notre Dame, and you're going on the road to Arizona State, uh, you know, Cal's going to be, uh, you know, be a challenge and all. You probably don't need another really big uh, uh, opponent in a year like this, uh, and yet still. I mean, USC, uh, with UCLA and Notre Dame, the only three schools of, I guess there are 128 now, in the FBS, uh, the football bowl, you know, subdivision, of the 128, only three have never played down, uh, below Division One, And, and UCLA, USC, and Notre Dame. It's interesting. It's USC's two arch rivals who, uh, join USC in that category. So, I think it may be overstated, you know, the fact that, um, um, you know, you don't like Idaho. I don't know that, did you need another big game that week to get ready for Stanford and, you know, and Arizona State in back-to-back weeks? I mean, right away, that's kind of a challenge. Just the very fact of, uh, uh, of the different kinds of, you know, the way they play football. I mean, you know, you start, you know, Arizona State and Stanford, you couldn't have two more you know, distinctly different, you know, styles uh, and approaches to the game. So having a team that you really had to focus all of your, you know, energy on getting ready for them instead of focusing your attention on uh, the communication in the offensive line, uh, the deep, you know, throwing the deep balls and connecting on those. I thought that was a really good week for USC to be able to focus on USC and not have to take a look at, you know, uh, another team that was coming in. Now, obviously, Texas A&M would have been one of these first two games this year had they not dropped USC once they went into the uh, the SEC. So, uh, you know, sometimes these things happen, and circumstantially, there's just nothing you can do about it. You know, uh, and there aren't there aren't that many ways that you can get you know games to fit exactly into the you know the the slot that you've got available. So, you know. Considering the circumstances, I, I think it worked pretty well. Considering the young team USC's got, the number of kids they're trying to get into games. For example, I think it's invaluable to have been able to get all those players, you know, 67 and well over 80, you know, 67 in the opener, well over 80. Uh, I think for morale-wise, uh, you know, for morale purposes and for all the other reasons that you want to get young guys uh game action early i think it works out pretty well so so i'm not one of the ones who you know really you know neg- you know negating the value uh, of those games considering what's coming dan we love you coming on it's great stuff with so many questions after a game like this i'm anticipating there's gonna be a lot more questions after this weekend's game against stanford so it should be uh should be a lot of fun, much bigger test for the Trojans coming up this weekend. Well, I think the hope is <laughs> that after next week, there are lots of answers. I think that's the key is uh, what you want to do now with uh, the next two weeks is start to have a lot of answers for people. I think it's probably good still to they have lots of questions right now. But, uh, but after next week, we want lots of answers. Yeah. 
All right. Well, great stuff, Dan. We'll uh, see you out of practice this week and uh, as the team gets ready for Stanford. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, Ryan. And, and I like the fact that practice really matters. You know, it's not just a matter of getting through practice to get to games. Uh, I think the value that Sark placed, as he talked about last night on practice, was the value that sustained them throughout the entire, you know, Pete Carroll time here. And, and I think that's really, really important, uh, that kind of thinking. And uh, so that makes it exciting to go to practice. All right, that was great stuff from Dan Weber. Actually, we let him go, and I forgot we also had a voicemail question. So I'm going to play this one for you, a voicemail question. I'll answer it myself. So apologize, Dan. I forgot to have Dan answer this one, but I wanted to get this one on the show. So here you go. This is Randall in Dallas, and my question is for Dan. It's about the Pac-12. I thought each team had to play one game during the season on a network. Am I wrong? Also, I keep hearing anyone who played in a second game is no longer eligible to redshirt. Is this correct as well? We appreciate everything that you guys do for these free podcasts, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, Randall, thanks for that one. And, uh, yeah, so first off, um, as far as playing on the Pac-12 network, I don't know the exact, I think it's you have to play at least one. Uh, but most schools play more, more than one. USC played in the first two. Um, just this weekend, uh, New Mexico, Arizona State's on Pac-12 Network. Georgia State, Oregon's on Pac-12 Network. Utah State, Washington's on Pac-12 Network. Uh, San Jose State, Oregon State's on Pac-12 Network. Wyoming, Washington State's on Pac-12 Network. And Northern Arizona, Arizona is on the Pac-12 Network. So basically half or more of the games uh, are on Pac-12 Network. So I guess the only one, uh, there's... Two of them are on CBS Sports Network. One's on Fox, uh, one's on ABC, and one's on Fox Sports One. So the rest of the games are on Pac-12 Network. So yeah, so it's I think you have to play at least one. Um, I think USC's had it where it's been one. It could be two. I, I'm sorry, sorry, I don't know the exact number on that. But there's a lot of games uh, on the Pac-12 Network. And as far as redshirting goes, people kind of get this number if you play in more than a quarter of the season. Uh, people think that you're allowed less than quarter of a season. You're allowed to redshirt. If you play in a game, uh, you're not allowed to redshirt. So if you play the uh, one snap of the first game of the year, it doesn't matter that it was the first game of the year. Um, you can't redshirt. Now you can apply for a medical, uh, you know, there's a medical waiver that if you played in one of the first, usually it's the first three games, you know, for a 12 game schedule. Um, and something happens, you get hurt. You could redshirt that year. Um, so that's not, you know, that, that's the, that's the, the 25% rule that, the, you know, but if you play, you're basically, you can't redshirt anymore. So it's more of if you get injured in the first couple of games. So any of the freshmen, the 14 freshmen that it came up and played, if any of those guys uh, end up getting injured, uh, you know, against Stanford say they could still redshirt that year after that. No, then you can, they, you know, sometimes you've seen a player play, you know, a come in for a snap in the middle of the season, and gets hurt right away, didn't play very long, you can uh, get a, a medical waiver for something like that too. But the, the rule is about the 25% playing in less than 25% uh, or, or third of the game. I believe it's a, yeah, so I know something like that. So, um, but that's only to, you know, that's only to do when, when you get hurt. If you play, basically you're not redshirting is, is the general rule. All right, that's going to wrap it up for the Peristyle podcast for our Monday show. Thanks so much for tuning in and, uh, Wanted to mention Michael Moline Real Estate. Um, he can definitely uh, 
help you out if you're here in Southern California. Uh, but you can go to michaelmalinerealestate.com or give him a call at 310-275-4688 and you'll hear a little message from him right now. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 